I'm one tough gazookus that hates all palookus that ain't on the up and square. I biffs em and buffs em and always outruffs em and none of em gets nowhere. If anyone dares to risk me fisk, it's buffin' it's when understands. So keep good behavior, that's your one lifesaver with Popeye the Sailor Man. He's Popeye the Sailor Man! Chicken of the seas, yeah. He's strong to the fish, cause he eats his spinach. He's Popeye the Sailor Man. Coming soon. This summer. At theaters everywhere. Opening weekend. Read it R. Welcome to episode 87 of Opening Weekend. I'm Jason O'Connell, and I am once again joined by my dear friends Fred Berman and Dan Matisa. And this week, we travel back to December 12th, 1980, and the release of two very different comedies, Stir Crazy, directed by Sidney Poitier and starring Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, and Robert Altman's big-budget musical adaptation of the comic strip Popeye, starring Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall. What's more, in a happily fortuitous turn of events, our friend Dave Itzkoff, celebrated journalist and author of the biography Robin, is back to discuss Popeye with us this week, having first joined us almost two years ago to chat about Williams's breakout hit, Good Morning Vietnam. Dave is always a delight to talk to, and I remember promising on that earlier episode that if we were ever going to revisit Popeye, that we would invite him back for the discussion. So uh, we're all thrilled he can be here with us today. Uh, Dave will be joining us a little later in the episode once we're ready to talk all things Popeye. By, but before we get to the week's films and our very special guest, where were we all in December of 1980? Getting ready for Christmas, baby. Getting ready for the holidays. Cue Mariah Carey. Whoa, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the Do you remember what you asked? Do you remember what you guys asked for? This feels like, so I'm seven here, right? I was born in 73. I was seven. I just turned seven. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so you maybe just turned eight, Fredo. No, I could, My I have a July birthday. Thanks for remembering. So I turned eight in July, so I was seven still. You turned eight in July 81? Wait. What? I turned July 80 or July 81. You turned 8 in July 80. Because I turned 7 in October 80. This is scintillating. <laughs> You're older than me, you, you cornhole. I know. I thought I was 7 years old in 1980. But I, yeah, was no. I was 10 in 81. I was 9 in 80. Yeah, so okay. that means you were. I was 7. So I was 8. Oh, for fuck's sake. Okay. So. Got it. Um, Perfect. <laughs> so and that's uh, the show. <laughs> How old were we? The um, six into seven birthday or the six into seven holiday season feels like a season, feels like a year that you would start to ask for a little bit more sophisticated toys and games, especially. Mm, like, did you start to me. get Simon into the mix? Remember Simon? Simon's oh, yeah. the best. We still have Simon. 
You do? Yeah, my Your dad's old one? got Your it. Original one? No, not the original one. No, <laughs> that shit doesn't work well, you anymore. Know, you know, it was a really. You know what I do remember? <laughs> Don't look at my crotch when you say that. <laughs> yeah, look at that dude. And we called meat. your your crotch Simon, Simon and Simon, right? <laughs> I have been in this business 52 years and I will, I've never seen anything like this. You sit on my house! Holding it, you put out the boat. Now I'm just now I'm picturing Dan's crotch on a boat, just living the high life, solving crimes. With Tom Bray, Hofstra graduate from Riptide. Go ahead. <laughs> aye, aye, aye. Um, Rubik's Cube was a big toy. Yes, this year. In yes, 80 it was. was Rubik's Cube already out in 80? That's when it first came out, 1980. Yeah. Which my mm. grandmother called Rubik Block. <laughs> she didn't get the whole rhyming thing. She didn't get the assonance. Rubik Ru Q Rubik's Cube. She didn't get it. Could you guys do Rubik's Cube? Were you able? Were you nearly impossible? Yeah, I have been in this business. No, I. Yeah, I got Rubik's cube, and I got so frustrated with it. I finally took the one fucking idiot. I'm I know what you're gonna say. I took all the, the I took all the stickers off, off yes. and I put them. Yeah, up. We all did that. <laughs> but I, I feel like I'm the only one who was uh, who was laid low by it enough to like go and say fuck it. I'm just taking the stickers and I'm putting them where they go, just because I wanted to look, and not because I was even trying to con anybody. I just was sick of seeing it like that, like seeing my failure in front of me at yeah. all times. I was like, of I course. just want to see all the colors. Because right it made side. you feel stupid because you did. Invariably, we had yes. a friend who could go zip, 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 and do it. My, uh, my my sister's friend Brian was a whiz at Rubik's Cube and go blah blah. But then also there was like a pyramid one. That yes, I love that yes, one. Also it was kind of like um, it had like day glow uh, stickers yeah. on it. It was yes. more like a and then there was a snake one too, which I, I had, had that too, which I was oh, really good at. Nice. And then there was yes. nothing that you just made like a cobra out of it. It wasn't like that was. I was better cool at the pyramid. Uh, the pyramid I couldn't do. Yeah. I couldn't do the Rubik's cube, but the the snake, the cobra thing, I could do. But it wasn't it, it, because it wasn't that difficult. That was the thing, you know. Right. So it was toys for kids who were feeling emasculated by the Rubik's cube, and I was like, "Take this snake! Oh, can you master the snake? Yes, I can. I'm a big boy now. <laughs> wow! Wow! Oh, fat fuck's sake!" Um, you know what I remember about this time? This was, it was shortly after John Lennon was, was murdered. Right. And yes. I, and I remember, I remember that feeling like, I know this is, I didn't really know who he was at the time. The big song was somebody, uh, nobody told me there'd be days like this. I remember that was on the radio all the time. Nobody told me there'd be days like this. Fantasy had come out, and um, oh, right, right. there's double fantasy. He died this week, right? It wasn't it December eighth. Yeah, yeah, no, it was. It was. It was yes. December 8th? And I just remember wow. all of us sitting in the back of the cafeteria talking about it, and not really knowing what we were. At least I wasn't sure. I knew that this guy 
who was, I guess, like a rock star, got killed, but we didn't really understand it. Like I yeah, knew Be- Beatles no. songs were in like the periphery. They were in the background. I mm-hmm. I sort of knew who they were, but I, you yep. know, I wasn't really into them at the time. And uh, yeah, I just remember he- just people were always talking about it. And that, the, the, yeah. and, and it was so, it's so fucked up because then when was, when was Ronald Reagan shot? Well, I was just thinking uh, about that. March, of, was March that? of 81, because he wow. just, he had just oh gotten gosh. elected in November on his 70th day of office. He was shot. God. In, uh, March of 81. Because I just whiz. remember then <sighs> it was like time. between John Lennon and Reagan and there might've been someone else, but I remember all my, fr- like when Michael Jackson started to really ascend, we were like, oh, he's going to get, he's going to get assassinated. Right? Cause it just seemed like that's what happened when that's you got to be. If you're too well known, if you're yeah. too much of a, a star or a luminary, yeah. you are, you know, somebody's going to be literally gunning for you. Somebody's going to be coming after you. Yeah. It was, fucked up. I remember you brought this up and I remember you know, I think we've talked about it before that this was the first year that I was in the, um, you know, they had the gifted program. Fuck off. And so you'd go, yeah. um, go from your, your normal school and you'd spend half a day at this other center, learning center or whatever with other kids yeah. from your school and other schools. And so we were, this was the first semester of that, I guess. And I don't remember any of my teachers or I don't remember my I was in fourth grade at the time. I don't remember my fourth grade teacher in the in regular school, my regular elementary school, talking about John Lennon. Kids were talking about it, but nobody was engaging us in a conversation about it. But in the afternoon, probably the first, if, if, he, if he was shot on a Monday, I think December 8th would have been a Monday. Then on Tuesday, I had like a half a day of this gifted program thing. Fuck off. And I remember the whole afternoon instead of whatever else we were going to be working on, whatever projects or whatever, the teacher, Mr. Uh, I believe it was Mr. Orabona, Ray Orabona. He set up chairs in a circle and just, we all sat and he wanted to talk about what had happened to John Lennon and how wow. we were feeling and stuff. So it was just like a little group therapy session. It was very, I'll never forget it because we mm. just sat there to talk about the news and our feelings and what were we afraid and what did we think and what did it make us think? It was like, you know, just wound up being a big, you know, gun control discussion among these fourth graders. But it was, um, I just remember that really, really vividly. It was, yeah, it was a very, very, very scary time. And you were a little bit older than us. Did you have any yeah. more knowledge of, of John nine. Lennon or any sort of connection to the Beatles not, or anything uh, at that age? Not, re- I mean, my mom had, had albums and she had the, um, the John Lennon Yoko Ono album that she played, uh, a lot. Kiss, kiss, um, kiss, kiss me nice. What a weird song. That song, <laughs> we had that, my, my dad had that on 45. It's such a weird, do you know that song, Dan? I don't know it. I don't know. I sing it again. It's kiss, 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 kiss me night. It's Yoko Ono singing it. And we of hated it so it much years later, I believe like me and Josh and Damon took the 45 and like just smashed it. We're like, and no, smashed it. Yeah. We need to, this, yeah. this song needs to be out of our lives. What the fuck are you talking about? I like you singing it. I like hearing you sing <laughs> That was nice. I like hearing you sing anything. Yeah. Aww. Does that album also have woman? No, that's earlier. That's another. That's an earlier album. I believe. Is the cover of that album? Isn't it? They're in bed and she's curled into almost like a fetal position beside him. That famous photograph. A famous of them. picture. I don't know if it's the cover of the Double album. Double Fantasy. No, the last one. His last album. 
Hold on, wait. I feel like I should know this. I think it's double fantasy. I feel like the image I always had of him at that time was him and That's Yoko. That's them, like kissing on the stoop. Yeah, but wasn't there one where she's they're they're lying in bed or on sheets and it's like a shot from above and she's yeah all, that, well that's a famous picture of them like that's the, that's the rolling stone f- picture that's i think anyway okay, that's not from an album right no. okay yeah, but double that. fantasy was his last album that's just them kissing on the cover mm. that was his final yeah, studio so at album. that time yeah my really my my uh, my knowledge of him was more as yoko ono's <laughs> partner than than a beetle <laughs> probably i mean i knew he was part of the beatles but at that time you know what i mean i just uh, i i, I wasn't as to the Dakota and Strawberry Fields and the Imagine mm-hmm. Mosaic oh, over yeah. in Central yeah. Park. Yeah, it's really, that's I love it over there. It's really, really cool. And there's always somebody playing guitar and singing on one of the benches and singing yeah. a, a Beatles song or a John Lennon song. It's kind of a beautiful part of the park. And I imagine this week there'll be a lot of that and people putting flowers there and everything like that. Yeah, Imagine. Exactly. very, very sad. Very, very sad. I had Simon. I had Connect Four. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Remember Connect Four? I loved Connect Four. Of course. All these games. I Pretty win sneaky, where sis. I yeah, it was good. I win where I can't hear. Diagonally. Here, that's it. That's here, it. diagonally. Pretty, Pretty sneaky, sneaky, sis. And then they got in a fist fight, which they let cut that from the- It also had that. the great thing where if you lost and you were annoyed about it, because there, there was the little thing at the bottom that <laughs> yes. would like release yes. all of them. And yes. it was a great, it was a great way to get out your aggression because it just was so satisfying to be like, fine, yeah. you won. And then just move that little tab and then everything comes crashing uh, well, out, out of the inside of What my sister and I would do uh, before- it w- when it was clear that the other person was going to win, you do oh, over yes. and click that thing over and then <laughs> yes. truly get in a fight. Same thing with Atari. If it was clear she was going to beat me at combat, hit the reset button. <laughs> oh, oh, God. Drive I did her that insane too. and she I would did drive that with me my sister okay, too. Yeah. Mom, he hit reset. It was like, I made my finger slipped. Where? I can't hear diagonally. Oh. Fuck off. And were we leading up to some cool, uh, would this be like Empire, we've talked about this before, but like the Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, yeah, this yeah, Christmas, yeah. so this is Millennium Falcon Christmas, in other words. Yeah, this is, this, I was thinking about that for, for you, Dan, because I remember this is a greatest. big one. I think I got the, uh, I, I, this is when I got the Bespin set and I got the, um, oh, the, 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 the Bespin, what were the, what were the, the, the orange? cloud cars? Yeah, 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 yeah. Damn I think you, those I were on the, the horizon. I had the cheap ass. So there were the ADAT, which is the thing I really wanted, which were twelve thousand dollars. But the the I got the the Hoth, and then there was the Hoth playset, which yeah, was which eleven thousand dollars. Then there was the imitation bullshit Hoth playset, which was the same as the Sand People playset. They just colored it white yeah. and put a different cardboard backing on it. It was the That's cardboard what I had. one. Oh, you had that. Oh, the yeah, cardboard yeah, yeah. with the cardboard backing. Yeah. What was there was another one? There was another Hoth playset? No, there were two different Hoths. There, there were? were two different Hoths playset. Yeah. There was the one that was a little more expansive and was true was all plastic and was and had the the little things that you could turn and shoot and the guy would fall and the Yeah. The, um, that was the one that the, I had. Um, yeah. But then there was a 
cheaper, smaller one that oh. that just had a and basically a cardboard ad at attached to the back of it that you could all you could do was send somebody up inside of it like Luke and send somebody no, it's down the same yeah. one. from it. Because no, the no, one these that are I... two different play. These are two different play sets because I my had friends the one. had the good one what? and I had the crapola one, which was the same as the sand people one. I but that's what I had as well. But you could still turn and, and people could fall. I have a beef against the Kenner Foundation, the Kenner Company. <laughs> Kenner Foundation. The Kenner Foundation, which was their charitable arm. I have a beef against them. No, there were two there were definitely two separate places. I know this because Nick, my buddy Nick, had the good one. He always had the good one. Well they always had a cheap version. That's like what I'm one saying. that like would be more affordable so you could like kind of <laughs> vaguely approximate pleasure. But uh, <laughs> you know. Which takes us to our first movie. <laughs> <laughs> 79 was my Star Wars Christmas. I got a shit ton of Star Wars stuff in 79, and then I think my family thought, you've already got all that stuff. Like, there, there was no sense of like, oh, well, now there's a snow version. It was like, you got, you, we did Star Wars last year, and we did all, nothing but Star Wars, and so this year, socks and pants. <laughs> and this is the Christmas that I got three Yodas. <laughs> I got three figure. wise men, three little wise men, like three wise men. <laughs> I got the Yoda, this Yoda figure. I got the Yoda puppet. Yeah, we still have that. Mm-hmm. My sister's got that. And that makes an appearance in E.T., does it not? Poltergeist. Makes Poltergeist. 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 Yeah. And I got the Yoda equivalent of a magic eight ball. I got that this oh, Christmas wow. also, which you would shake up. You'd ask Yoda a question. You'd turn him over and he would go, how smooth that is? He wouldn't talk, but you would imagine it because the thing would float to the top. But it was all in Yoda speak. It wasn't like, maybe, yes, no. It was like, um, no, the answer is. It was all shit like that. Great. <laughs> I got the, um, there was the 12-inch, there was the Richard Pryor dressed as a woodpecker doll <laughs> that you could sleep with. And it would, put the, it, would, it would have it stick a wrench on your dick in the middle of the night. <laughs> <laughs> that was the toy that kept on giving. Yeah, you had to be rich to get that one. You had to get the Gene, the, the Gene Wilder one, you needed, you needed a little extra cash. You know what's yeah. really fucked away. up? You had to send away for that one. Is that yeah. my big Christmas present a couple years later was the video disc of Stir Crazy. Wow. <laughs> because I was obsessed with Richard Pryor. I got obsessed with Richard Pryor like right around the time he was going to do Superman. Anything Richard Pryor that I could get my hands on. So my family bought me Stir Crazy way, you know, thinking it's going to be like the toy in Superman 3. And no, it was not at all, but I watched it. Puberty was rearing its head. I was finding uh, opportune moments to rewind (laughs) one particular scene. Like, like, oh my God, we'll get to it. But watching this movie again for the first time in like 30 years, I was like, yep. I remember discovering manhood right here. You're getting a little stir-crazy. Uh, yeah, exactly, 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 stir-crazy. Crazy, just a little bit out of whack. Cause I always like to act my dreams out. They call me a maniac. Well, if I'm crazy, what a wonderful way to be. Imagine all the possibilities. If the whole world was just like me Ooh, 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 crazy, crazy Everyone thinks I'm crazy But I've got a feeling 
deep inside They'd all like to be just like me Crazy, crazy Jobless and short on cash, daydreamers Skip Donahue and Harry Monroe, played by Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, leave New York City and head to Hollywood in search of a better future. While trying to earn money on the road, the two friends are framed for a bank robbery they didn't commit and are sentenced to 125 years in federal prison. While in jail, fortune curiously smiles upon them when Skip proves unexpectedly talented at bronco riding, a skill that the prison's unscrupulous warden, played by Barry Corbin hopes to exploit in an annual rodeo tournament, where Skip and Harry hatch a plot to break out of prison once and for all. Sir Crazy, directed by Sidney Poitier, was a major hit, taking in $8.7 million over its opening weekend and going on to gross a truly impressive $101.3 million in 1980 dollars, making it the third biggest moneymaker of that year behind only The Empire Strikes Back and 9 to 5. Fred and Dan... What'd you guys think of stir crazy, stir crazy, stir crazy, stir crazy, stir crazy, stir crazy? I feel crazy. I asked for Craig T. Nelson for Christmas, and I got him. He came over to the house. He sat down, had coffee with us. It was great. Please, Fred, go ahead. This podcast has done so many wonderful things for my life, but it has single-handedly ruined. My wonderful impression of Gene Wilder. It really has. <laughs> Between this, Hanky Panky, The Woman mm-hmm. in Red. I liked him in this. I don't like the, I think the character is ridiculous, but I liked him in parts of this. I thought he was actually quite funny at, at moments. I didn't laugh once. Mm, I, this no, movie, I, I was so, laugh. I was very excited to see this movie because I never saw it before. I'd only seen oh. bits and pieces of it. I have a Same. very, very clear memory. And I've talked about watching movies in my friend Josh's den before. Like I have such a clear memory of him having this on VHS and maybe seeing clips from it. And like the big thing was like, yeah, we bad, we bad, we bad. Yep, like that, that was clip the commercial. That was the clip you always saw. And yeah. You went, oh, and you went, oh, that's funny. Yeah. And, you know, just the image of them in the, <laughs> what I thought were chicken costumes, yeah, you know, I guess they're, they're woodpeckers. Um, I don't know what this movie wants to be or <laughs> wanted to be. It's, it's, you know, when it first, when it first started, I was going, okay, this is interesting. Like, I like the scene with Richard, like the setup of them, of who they are, um, of Richard Pryor, you know, at, at, at the dinner. And like, I thought that was very funny, accidentally slipping the pot. Yes. I thought that was all played well. And mm-hmm. then I thought the Gene Wilder thing, you're like, okay, he's at this department store. I'm not sure what he's doing there, but I thought this is funny. But none of it he is. He gets fired he's why? A, he, he gets he fired why? That gets dropped Utterly, he shows up to see Richard Pryor in the next scene and goes, I've been fired. And you you absolutely get the impression that there's been a cut scene that they, there that must they have left been. out. I, I just didn't know what it, I'm like, it, it took a while to figure out, going, oh, oh, okay, oh, so Richard Pryor's an actor and he's a playwright. Oh, okay, that well, that's interesting. In very late. Yeah, so, okay, very. so th- is that what it's going to be about? You know, and they're, and they're in the city and they go crazy. Is, is Gene Wilder crazy? Is he the stir crazy? Because he's acting like a fucking lunatic throughout the entire movie. Like all these you things don't. that I thought, I really did. I thought, oh, maybe, maybe that's what it is that he's, he's, 
he's insane. He's crazy. And they're mental patients or something. And that's not what it is. And you're going, okay, yeah. well maybe, okay. It's an actor <laughs> playwright. They're It's like Tootsie, like Bill Murray and Dustin Hoffman. And they have this right. relationship and they're just trying to get work done right. and the city's driving them crazy. So they're going to leave. Okay. But then wait, what? They're in, they're in, they're, they're in this rodeo town. And and what? And Gene Wilder, like, then Gene Wilder's just an idiot. He's going and he's talking to these guys who are obviously going to kill him. Um, <laughs> and suddenly they have a job at a bank. What? Huh? Oh, okay. Yeah. What? And happen? now they're in jail? And now, wait, hold on. Wait, they're going to prison for the rest of their lives? And, and, they're, and there's a rodeo? What the and fuck Joe is Beth going Williams on? Loves him all of a sudden. Joe, and Joe Beth Williams all of a sudden is in, so in love with him that so she gets so a job. She's a lawyer. She's a lawyer. She's so in love with Gene Wilder that she gets a job as a bartender at a strip joint <laughs> to see if she can find the a man with a tattoo that fits the description of the little girl who saw the man with the tattoo. Because this is a place where people with tattoos frequent. That's yeah. the logic. But thank God, because that way Jason got to see boobs. Well, thank goodness for that. If she, if she, ne if she didn't get that job, Jason never would have turned into a man. No, I got to see boobs. <laughs> but the guy could be in, he could be in Sweet Haven. He could be literally anywhere. We haven't talked about that movie yet, so I'm cutting on all that. The, <laughs> cut that out. He could be anywhere on the globe. But she's like, you know, I've heard that people with tattoos frequent this particular bar, which is down the street from the bank he robbed. Maybe he'll wander in here. I'll get employment as a... F this movie. Everyone in this F movie are dumb. They're all idiots. Movie. They think we are so stupid. I love Sidney Poitier. He's a legend. Not a good director, though, of comedy. Truly true. Hanky Panky's, uh, you know, I like Hanky Panky. It's <gasps> leaps and bounds oh, no, better than this, this is, thing. Oh, leaps I think it's much worse. That, much worse. No, I disagree. Hanky Panky's a superior movie. The, and this in thing, no way, shape, or form. In no way, shape, or form. <laughs> This thing, this thing insults our intelligence at every turn. This is this movie is about a dummy and a Frady cat. Okay, and and what you do, and that's a good setup. That's a pretty good setup. Dumb, well, that's dumb, the thing. There's lots of the good Frady setups. Cat. Yeah, the, the, the setups throughout the movie, but they don't add up to anything. They're the same thing every every single time. There's 700 <laughs> examples of the same thing happening. Dummy does something dumb. Frady cat gets afraid. The relationship stays the same. Repeat. What you have to do in a movie like this is have that relationship come to a head somehow, have yeah. it reach a crisis point somehow where Richard Pryor says enough's enough with you. And then they have to resolve or repair the thing in the third act so that they can have a friendship again. This thing goes nowhere. It ends where it starts. It's it's it fr so frustrating because you have good ingredients here. And guess what? Guess what the Frady Cat's superpower is? Holding on for dear life, even though he's afraid. Put him on the bull. It should have been Richard Pryor. The whole thing is setting you up to have the scaredy guy who all he does is hold on and keep going, even though he's afraid. He should have been the bull rider. But Gene Wilder's the bull rider because movie. I hated this. No, I don't want Richard Pryor to be the bull rider because then he would just, that would give him more moments to make all those dumb noises that he does. That's to me, it's, it was Agreed. just a lot of, it He's was Gene Wilder a, screaming yeah, and Richard him. Pryor making his dumb noises. That's right, that's right, we bad, huh? <laughs> that's right. You don't want no shit either. That's right. Darn right. 
We don't want no shit. You understand? Uh, we don't take too much shit. Take a little bit. We don't take no much shit. Damn right. That's right. Say no shit. No shit. That's right. No shit. No. We don't take no shit. No shit, Rick. We ain't shit. You better believe it, baby. I have been in this business 52 years, and I will... I've never seen anything like this. And reality is the situation. And I, I can't speak. You know, it's it's a third movie we've seen now where women fall head over heels for Gene Wilder. <laughs> it works in so uh, Young Frankenstein, and that's about it. He is, they're trying to make him the dumber Woody Allen over and over, where all these beautiful no women reason. fall head over heels. It's so stupid. He, he doesn't, no do, look, it's, it's not, I'm not to say that beautiful women can't fall for someone like Gene Wilder. He's he's funny, he's charming, but there's nothing about this character. He's just, he's, he's a lech, like he, you said. He, he literally walks in and says, hey, you're beautiful. Would you like to come to the opening of my play? And she's like, sure, I guess. I mean, so as far as she dumb. knows, he's a fucking bank robber she's never met before. And yes. she just, he just, it, 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 does, did Gene Wilder do a lot of drugs? Because he's, his eyes are bloodshot throughout this whole movie. Yeah, and he looks, he looks insane. He looks insane through the whole thing. I'm laughing yeah. because I did not expect this to be your reaction. And I... But the reason I'm laughing is I'm laughing at myself because this is my devil and Max Devlin or something I, like I, I'm so I've watched it so many times in my youth, so many times, like dozens of times. Like it is like wow. a seminal for more than one reason, a seminal <laughs> experience or a seminal experience that I that I literally I'm laughing at myself because of how how gaslit I was. I mean, I'm, I'm walking around being like stir crazy. Great, great movie. Great movie. And now listening to you guys talk about it, I'm like, yep, you're right. Yep. Yep. You're right. And I'm laughing at myself because I I'm like, the world was gaslit by this at the time. It was a major hit. And I remember all my friends going, you got to see stir crazy. There's boobs in it. It's hilarious. Yeah. And it's like, it's considered the uh, apotheosis of the Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, yeah. you know, That's comic relationship. I into. Well, you were because it does not, but there is no better example. But is Silver is better? Streak better? He's they're in it for five minutes together. That that oh, is really? a movie where they're barely in it together. Is oh, my recollection wow. is that, that Richard Pryor comes into it very late in the proceedings, and then yeah, they have like fun scenes together or fun. You can't watch that movie anymore, right? Gene Wilder does blackface, I believe, uh, towards Goodness the end gracious. of the movie. Uh, that's all I remember about Silver Streak. I haven't watched it in a long time. And yeah, then they made a, a couple of others in the See 80s. No evil here, no evil. And an, I think they made another one too. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Okay. Another You. It's called Another You. Yeah. Oh, this God. is like very late in their career and very late in Richard Pryor's life, I think, before he MS uh, struck him um, or, or before. Well, then it I don't get it low, because that was the whole thing that it was always like this, this, like the legendary Gene Wilder, Richard Pryor, this you is know, it. comedic teaming. Now that this I've seen it. if this is it, no, it's a sham. I don't buy <laughs> I, I mean, I it. did even rewatching it. I did laugh at their scenes together. I, it, none of it made sense, but I, it was like my brain didn't need it to make sense. Somehow I wasn't, I really watched it and 
it wasn't like some movies where I sit down and I'm like, I haven't seen this in a long time. And I was able to have a critical reappraisal and be like, oh, it doesn't hold up. Or, oh, what did I see in it back then? It just washed over me. I think I've seen it so many times. It washed over me in exactly the same way it washed over me when I was 10 or 11 years old. I was like, yep, I remember that. Yep. I didn't understand that then. I don't really understand it now. Yep. <laughs> that made me laugh. Ah, oh, that's so funny. No, 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 sit, 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 sit. You know, we didn't do it. There's a misunderstanding. That's right. We didn't do it. We didn't. I didn't. Our lawyer uh, no, told didn't. us to come up. <laughs> He's joking. He means I we told didn't him. do it. See, we, we didn't do it. Have you got the right case? <laughs> I love when like Gene Wilder like knocks the night the uh, the 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 nightstick or whatever the the yeah. billy club or whatever out of the cu- like there were, like things that surprised me that I thought I was like that's crazy oh that's so funny oh that's ridiculous they were still hit, not not to the same degree exactly as when I was a kid but I was still like laughing and being like oh they are funny these two guys are funny I wanted that cop to beat the shit out of Gene Wilder. <laughs> I'm seriously, I was like, fucking just knock him out. And I love Gene Wilder. That's the thing. Like, when I love Gene Wilder, I love him. He's adorable. I love, and in this, I was like, I wanted that cop just to fucking destroy him. He's so annoying to me. And I'm like, there's, you can't do that in real life, Sidney Poitier. And if you're going to make like a farcical movie and make it silly, then you have to go all the way with it. But like, you're, like you said, Dan, you're insulting our intelligence. You cannot do that. From the get go. And I think what this movie is, is is thinks it's doing is saying look at these two great stars you love them you already have a relationship yeah. with them based on other films and based on stand co- stand up comedy they are beloved now let's put them in jail and see what happens let's stir the pot let's stir crazy the pot and see what happens when you put these two beloved you know uh, people that you already love in jail. We don't have to develop their characters or develop their relationship in any way. All we got to do is put them in a funny situation. And that's just that, that, that unless you, and again, that's a good, that's a, you know, how many movies do that? Dozens and dozens of movies do that. It's it's And it can work very, very well, but you have to do something with those ingredients. You can't yeah. just go same thing again, same thing again, same thing again. You've got to care for the characters. You've got to know who they are. You don't know who they are. Dumb guy does a dumb thing. Freddy cat gets a scared repeat. Dumb guy does a dumb thing. Freddy, Freddy cat gets scared. Repeat. It is two hours of that and nothing else. The, the prison. Well, rodeo even less than sequence, that, the, the rodeo yeah. thing halfway through it, it shifts gears to like, uh, you know, like an ocean's 11. like, we got to escape, you know, like here's a the, caper the movie, which a also caper. insults our intelligence because they haven't been to that place. So yeah, how do right. they know exactly? The how do they know how to do that they have to craft? How do they, they, they seem to have inside. Right. They know not. It suddenly turned into escape from Alcatraz. Yeah. They have inside information about how to escape from Alcatraz, having never been to Alcatraz. The, the, they're prisoners and there's no guards guarding no. them. No one's just, watching you, them Yeah, anywhere. you dress up like a rodeo clown and do it. You, you'll be okay. I'm sure you'll be fine. You're not going to try to escape. The best part of this movie is that it made me think of the moment in The Simpsons, which is the Michael Keaton episode, Jason, where, yeah. where Homer and Marge and them are driving down the street going... You know, when all said and done, prison rodeo, and he veers off the road and goes to the prison rodeo where he meets Michael Keaton. That's the best thing about this movie is that it reminded me of another thing that I like. You know who's good? The um, the uh, the gay inmate. I liked him. 
Yeah. He, and he, he's in a lot of things in the 80s. George, George Stanford Brown? Yeah, I, I thought he was really good. Richard Pryor ruined his entire performance too. at the end by like when he gives him a, again, could have been like a nice sort of sweet moment. When well, he gives the him interesting a thing is it seems great. during the movie like Richard Pryor gives over to that relationship a little yeah. bit. It's like, all right, you're my, you know what I mean? Like there's not, there is not, there is not the, the homophobia and like the crass gay jokes and things like that and rape jokes that I would have expected this mm-hmm. movie to have more of. It, it does not. It's mercifully. Not, you're right. And I, yeah, I, and I really goodness. thought like, I was like, Oh, I was bracing myself for it to be wall to wall that kind of humor. And it's not. And no. I, and I liked that about it. I mean, I gotta say, I'm laughing at myself because I <laughs> liked some, because I'm like, yep. Start crazy. Holds up. It's what I remember. Like, I, I just have no idea. Everything you're saying makes sense. You're absolutely right about everything. And I'm like, sometimes they just made junky movies in the 80s that I liked. <laughs> and that's it. But I'm so surprised that I'm not turning a critical eye on it. You said a mouthful <laughs> there when you said junky, because think of these other 80s movies that also have thin, thin, thin plot lines, yeah. like a movie we love that came out in this year, Caddyshack. You know, exactly, that thing right. is paper thin in the final analysis. We mm-hmm. know now from, from, sure. from um, uh, uh, you know, various um, uh, sources that, that there was much more to that movie, mm-hmm. uh, but that was taken out in favor of the story of the of the the four um you know stars it feels like and which a movie that came out a year later it feels like stripes to me which is like take these yeah, there's comedians like yeah. put them in another right. you know a, a very a, a, yep. this structured uh foreboding kind of you know like the military prison like something that's like oh right. god you got to be a real man's man to survive this or get through right. this and you can't and be a wise ass and you can't be soft yeah. and you can't be whatever and then the second half of the movie goes into this like more a, a plot that it feels totally disconnected and much more kind of either yeah. quote unquote conventional or of a different genre than the comedy that the movie starts out as. And that's what I remember about Stri- I haven't seen Stripes in a very long time either. Same. And I didn't see it as much as Stir Crazy, which is why I don't have as vivid a recollection of it. So if we watched Stripes again, I think I would probably be harder on Stripes because having perspective and a critical eye that I, I yeah. don't seem to have here because I can, I can tell like, I'm like, everything you're saying is right. It is not, <laughs> it doesn't make sense. It's not a good, well-structured movie, but I'm like, but I remember, I'm like, yep, yep, yep. I'm like ticking down the list of like, I'm like, boy, this is exactly the experience I remember from fourth and fifth grade. And I'm like, Amazing. I'm sitting here ready to give this thing a seven based on like, based on, based on remembering it fondly. Because even as a kid, I was like, uh, it loses me when they get to the rodeo. It loses me. But man, but like watching the two of them be silly in prison and get, like I just that just tickles me and I love the oregano scene at the beginning and I that I, was I, the best scene that was, that was the kind best of is scene. the best scene and, the, and everybody in that scene like everybody at the dinner they table really like good. <laughs> yeah that's why my my I had high hopes saying so, no it, it just starts all, strong it all fell apart yeah. just because then, then I forgot it, that they were supposed to be a playwright and an actor because like you say it never ever I, other than him saying I'm writing a play and you have to come to my opening night like yeah. you know uh, that disarming like 
Willy Wonkiness that's supposed to be like so charming or seductive or something. The fact that he's like open, I guess. I don't know what it is about that Gene Wilder is just laughing and open and smiling and really connecting with those big blue eyes, those big blue bloodshot, blood addled <laughs> eyes, whatever it is. You know, as a kid, between the nudity and the language and the jokes I didn't get and all this, I was like, you know, oh, this is edgy. It's great. This is like this is mature comedy. And I was like, I am a big boy because I'm watching this. And because I you know, own the, a Richard Pryor rated R movie that mm-hmm. I can watch whenever I want. And I thought, you know, it's somehow, you know, it was just <laughs> at that time, it, it was very, I, I thought it was, and, and I knew it was popular. I mean, everybody, you saw ads for it all the time. It was like whenever yes. they would have ads for WHT or HBO or whatever, that you picture of them yeah. with the with the chicken suits or woodpecker suits, yeah. that was always kind of front and center. It was like, this is here are the pinnacles of entertainment, the Godfather, Star Wars, stir crazy. crazy. I mean, it was like <laughs> kind of held in that regard because it was financially successful. So, yeah. So I dr- just drank all the Kool-Aid on this. And what's f- amusing to me is how. That Kool-Aid has not completely left my system after 40 years, but But I'm still like, that's that's what happens. That's what makes me think of Devil and Max Devlin, where you're like, I I don't know. I have a nostalgia (laughs) for it. And I could understand it at the time, but I didn't share it. But, you know, and Dan hated it. I listened to that episode again recently. And I was like, this dynamic is so funny because I can see what Fred's saying and why, even though I don't share that. And I also was like, yeah, Dan, you're not wrong about anything you're saying either. So yeah, that's the way I received this movie. The, the, you know, yeah, this was a movie that was a naughty movie for someone of our age to see yes. that yes. other kids had seen it and couldn't stop talking about it. Oh my God. And then there's a scene at a strip club and then they, and then there's a jail and there's a gay guy in it and there's a this and there's a that, you know, and it was one of those forbidden movies like Caddyshack, like Stripes that your parents were like, you're never seeing that. Forget it. You know, even no matter how much you beg and then you'd catch parts of it on TV, on cable at a friend's house. And it was, yeah, it was one of those movies that held that mystique that the other kids who were allowed to watch it got to watch it. And we were somehow deprived because we didn't get to watch it because uh, because it was an it was naughty. You know, it was it was a it was an adult. Uh, it was a movie for for grownups. It, it had that mystique. And now it's like, you know, of course, now it's compared to anything today. It's like um, this is mild by comparison. But, you know, um, I don't understand the hundred and some odd million dollars, even in 1980, you know, when Caddyshack has to struggle to make a buck. I mean, it's up against airplanes, so I get it. <laughs> but but, you know, it's like that's such a superior superior movie that's doing some of these same irreverent chaotic things and has a paper thin plot but at least it connects to this through the story of Danny Noonan. It was just disappointing to me to see I it's disappointing to me to see Gene Wilder give this type of performance yeah, and to see Cindy, and Cindy Poitier who you know is you know wonderful but I'm just like god he doesn't he's got no grasp on how to direct this or how to edit it I mean it's it's not it's edited poorly it's not the script just doesn't make any sense. And I'm just going, oh, these are all like really good people. And yep. I don't know, but are they? Because I, I mean, obviously they are. They doubt them. They, they, yeah. And, and that's what's, <laughs> that was, that was the biggest thing that I took away from this. It just left such a bad taste in my mouth going, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm Here's- wrong. When they're grounded 
It worked. It's like, to me, same with Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey, when he's doing his Jim Carrey thing, for me, is too much. And that's why I didn't like. Now I appreciate Ace Ventura a lot. But for a long time, I could not fucking stand it. But when he's grounded, like we see in Truman, Truman Show was the point where I went, oh, okay. Now yeah, you got yeah, my attention. Gosh. That's where everybody, I feel like when yeah. you, if you take these great comedians sometimes and you just ground them and pull them back and pull them down, I think they can do great work. And I would have been much more interested. I, I was, I was looking, you used the word gritty before Dan. That's what, as a kid, yeah, I was like, oh, that's a gritty movie. There's something gritty about it. Even yes. like grittier than stripes, which I had seen. Yes. I, I would have like to have seen more of that. I just, yeah, I was, I needed it was a, a relationship real. that went somewhere and built to a crisis point between these two friends. Yeah. Give me that. And I would have been, uh, you know, on that then had to be solved through the rodeo or through some other means that this relationship goes nowhere. I am at three solid Sheila's. Yeah. I was going to give it a three as well. Um, Jason's at Jason, you can go higher because it, it boobs. Boobs, boobs bring things up. They were like, they were pretty, they were, yeah, they were, I mean, it's not even like that. No, there's actually a fair number of boobs. There's a lot of them, yeah. Um, Including Midget Pryor and, uh, yeah, Craig Um, I had a seven down because I was like, yeah, it's like, it's not the greatest, but it, but you know. Um, So I think when I was a kid, I would have given it an eight. Mm. I think. After talking to you guys, I realize it's more reasonably like a more of a five. And then I'm going to take those two together. That's a 13 divided by two, 6.5. I give this a 6.5. It's a 65 on a test. It just barely, for me, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like, watch, watch Stir Crazy. It's literally Richard Pryor's best movie, even if it's terrible. So Mm. 6.5. You don't, Watch you it. don't have to qualify anything, Jason. You, you, I'm still, you are, I was going to be, a, you is who you is. <laughs> I mean, I would say I am what I am. That's, that's exactly how I would say it. And that's exactly how a famous one-eyed sailor man says it. That's right. The Gorton's fisherman. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, <laughs> that's right. It's Popeye! What am I? I'm Popeye, the sailor. And I am what I am, what I am, and I am what I am, and that's all that I am, cause I am what I am. Uh, you got it? I think so, yeah. And I've got a lot of muscle, and I only got one eye, and I never hurt nobody, so I'll never tell a lie. Dave Itzkoff, oh, thank you so, yeah. so much for joining us thank again. Thank you for having me back what a to, do treat. to talk about this film in particular. Yeah. It was a blast. So Dave was said Dave is working on a new book now. He can't say what it is, but it's so exciting. It sounds so awesome that he left the times for it. And I've been trying <laughs> yeah, to. Right? I posited on our email, I posited that it's either that maybe it's a word for word novelization of every single Simpsons episode ever. <laughs> yes, please. Yes, please. Possibly. <laughs> or like dead. a George R.R. R. Martin-esque 
like six book series based on Popeye, the adventures of Popeye. I thought those, the, from what I know of Dave and his, his, his Twitter presence, yeah. I, w- I would think that that those would be the two things that would bring him away. So I don't know. I, I, I know he can't say much, but I'm excited to find out what it is. I, I have to say, Dave, I don't get on Twitter too often, but when I do, I always enjoy your, your musings oh, and the thing, one of my favorite things ever. And I, <laughs> I meant to somehow send you a message to this. Uh-huh. It, like everyone talked with the, I think it was around the Oscars, mm-hmm. up until the slap, oh, yeah. which took over everything. Yes. My favorite thing about the Oscars were your Bronco Henry oh. posts. <laughs> oh my God, I was laughing hysterically. That's very sweet. Was, of you. That's very it sweet. Killed me. I just like to, Dave just kept. Yeah. It, well, you explain it. <laughs> what was the yeah? What was the Bronco it's, Henry? It's, a, it's 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 like this obscure. I mean, I don't know how obscure it is, but I don't. If you saw that movie, The Power of the Dog, with uh, you know Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> and. Uh, Kirsten mm-hmm. Dunst, but there's a kind of a running. It's not even meant to be a joke in the movie, but this kind of motif <laughs> where Benedict, you know, they're, they're um, Cumberbatch and and Cody Smith McPhee are, uh, you know, essentially cowboys. They're ranchers who live uh, forget where in the Midwest or in the Pacific Northwest, something like that. And Cumberbatch's character keeps referring to this kind of mysterious mentor character that he had. And, and like anytime somebody does something well, he always kind of undercuts it by saying that like, you know, he, you know, Bronco Henry, the man who taught him how to do it, you know, you know, who could really, you know, rustle a cattle was Bronco Henry. And I, I, I mean, I just sort of like a homoerotic charge. Yeah. By you get this yeah. sense yeah. of like, you like, know, you he was in love with sort him. of insinuated later in the movie that Bronco yeah. Henry may have been more than just his, uh, you know, educator. <laughs> Mentor. Yes. yes. Right. It's not like totally laid out for you, but you get a lot of, uh, you know, hints about it. But it was just, you know, I, I may have been making these kind of dumb jokes all through award season, even before we hit the Oscars. <laughs> any, like anytime anything would happen, I'd be like, you know who could really screw the Democrats' chances in the midterms is Bronco Henry. <laughs> and it's, it was just fun to like keep that up like basically through Oscar night, which was like sort of the peak time that anybody would care about Power of the Dog jokes. <laughs> it was, oh, I did. I, it killed me every time. Because yeah, now you're reminding me, yeah, they went on for a while yeah. and oh my God, they were so funny. Thanks, thanks. Well, and now... And who even thinks about the power of the dog at this point? Like, it just shows you that, like, yeah. I, mean, I enjoyed the film, but it just shows you that these things have such a, like, limited life. a finite yeah. moment, and then. Totally. But you know who could have really slapped the shit out of Chris Rock <laughs> is Bronco Henry. Yeah. Bronco yeah. really would have done that. He would have finished the job. You know who would have t- taken the slap like a real man? Bronco, Bronco Henry. Henry. <laughs> if Bronco Henry could have hit himself yeah. that yeah. night, and, and it have. would have been magical. <laughs> Before we jump into um, the, the 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 world of Popeye, let's can we jump into the world of David Scoff in December nineteen eighty? Sure. Do you remember? Sure. Well, it's very vivid for yeah. me. Yeah. Did you see yeah, this? Because thing? you know, I I got like I got taken to a lot of movies as a kid uh, by my mom, just like a way to get out of the house and. Uh, that was your choices of entertainment in the eighties were a little bit more limited, but I, I, as much as I love my mom and, and, and she 
open up all these uh, worlds for me. She wasn't great about like getting on time to the movies that we'd go to. She would kind of make last minute choices and sometimes we'd just show up at a theater and go to see whatever was playing and if something was, if we were already 10 minutes into a film, sometimes we'd go just because that was like the the only thing playing or the, the thing that was you know the thing we could get into, and that's kind of how we stumbled into Papa. I don't know if she if she chose it in advance or it was just one of these things that we rolled up to and we were like, "Hey, what do you got today?" But we were a little bit late for Popeye, and and you know maybe ten or fifteen minutes of it had already gone by when we got to our seat, so we just stayed for the second showing that came immediately after the one we had seen, so that we could catch. The portion that we'd already missed the first 10 or 15 minutes we didn't see the first time. And once you're 10 or 15 minutes into a movie, you're not going to just walk out and be like, okay, now I got the full (laughs) story and I'll just piece it together in my mind. You got to stay and see the whole second showing in its entirety. So that one day I basically (laughs) saw Popeye like. 1.75 1.75 times. <laughs> <laughs> and, were you, yeah. did, and did you immediately love it or you were like, this is weird? A little. <laughs> well, wait, little wait. Both. We got to do, do the description of the movie. We got oh, to do all the stuff we normally do. Oh, oh damn. sorry. I, I screwed up. Yeah. Jason well, runs things. Screwed up and then Dan was really <laughs> pushing it in there like Bronco like Billy. Bronco, 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 Bronco Joe, you know Bronco Henry. really screw up an intro always. <laughs> Bronco Henry. Bronco and Henry. <laughs> Searching for the father who deserted him as a baby, an abnormally muscled and apparently one-eyed sailor named Popeye, played by Robin Williams, journeys to the dilapidated port town of Sweethaven, where he befriends an assortment of eccentrics and falls in love with the willowy olive oil, an incredible Shelley Duvall, who already has a suitor in the local bully Bluto, played by Paul L. Smith. While trying to flee town on the night of her engagement party, Olive bumps into Popeye and the two discover an abandoned baby dubbed Sweepy, whom the not-really-a-couple raises as their own. But when the spurned Bluto kidnaps Olive and the child, Popeye takes action with the help of his newfound Pappy, played by Ray Walston, and his new favorite vegetable, spinach. Famed director Robert Altman brought as much of his naturalistic, ensemble-driven sensibility to the proceedings as possible once Robert Evans and Paramount Pictures, which had lost the rights to the musical Annie, decided to make a big-budget blockbuster out of the beloved comic strip character. The results and the reception were decidedly mixed, though Popeye's reputation has improved over time. The film made $6.3 million on its opening weekend, going on to earn $49.8 million domestically and over $60 million worldwide. Fred, Dan, and Dave, what do y'all think of Robin Williams and Popeye? Now, Dave, please, did you love it? Did you not? I think yeah. you did. I don't know. You, you, you sort of raised the, the, like, the initial question was, was you know, was I weirded out by it or did I love it? And, and the answer is yes. Like, yes, I was <laughs> weirded out by it. I found it, especially as a four-year-old, completely mystifying, completely baffling, and also really endearing and really memorable. And it totally stayed with me and it is it's all of those things yeah it's yeah. a weird i was very th- re-watching this i haven't seen this movie in ages <laughs> but man it brought back so much nostalgia for me like in an instant yeah. because this is and i think we've talked about this on the podcast before this is one of the first movies i remember seeing in a movie theater i mean i was a mm. little i was i was seven years old but i 
very vividly remember seeing this and Flash Gordon. I, I It might have been in the same day. I remember it was definitely the same theater or it might have been the same weekend or like concurrent weekends, but... I have such a vivid memory of of going to see it with my family and then seeing it a lot on WHT, oh, yeah. which was, <laughs> yeah. you know, before HBO, it was like we had, they showed like Battlestar Galactica, yeah. the movie, <laughs> Popeye, and we just watched it over and over again because, you know, we loved Robin Williams from Mork, but, but yeah, exactly. It's so, it's so weird. Yeah, so it's weird. such a weird movie right from and and I, from the beginning like i remember that scene on the water yeah. and as a kid being like this is what's going on this is ominous yeah. i don't know what's happening it's like this dark and stormy scene and and well, i was a little scared like i remembered being a kid being sort of scared like i don't understand yeah. i thought this was like and what's happening well, it's, well, it seemed like the model of, of Superman, like this is a big, important movie about a comic book character. Yeah. You know, it had that feel about it. And even when I would see, because I saw it in the movie theaters too, I had the same kind of, like, like I loved it. And I was like, this is a like a very weird movie. Like I knew, I mean, this wasn't like Herbie the Love Bug <laughs> or other, like it was like, there was something off. Yeah. I would, and the way people were overlapping their dialogue and the way the camera was catching people it, it was it had this verisimilitude about these people in these bizarre costumes yeah. but yet milling about as if it was documentary footage yeah. it was very very weird and you knew it even as a kid yeah. i think i was i was eight or nine when i saw it and i you that weirdness it wasn't lost on you as a child because you're especially when you're fed so much entertainment that is a little more polished clean has a, you know what i mean you kind of start yeah. learning what to expect from kids movies from comic book based things. And this just had a very, very different feel. I remember they would show clips of it on TV because there was a lot of coverage and the reviews and yeah. stuff. And it was like mostly negative, like mostly saying, oh, it misses the mark or <laughs> it's a flop eye, yeah. flop eye. That was the yeah. thing people kept saying, right? And and I was like, no, I liked it. But, and, I, and I was like, how can you call that a flop? It's like, it, it looked like... <laughs> You're, you're like, like, I don't this. even know what a flop is, but how can you call well, it? I know, I knew what they were saying, but I was like, look at how cool this is. The movie looks, it's like, it looks so real. And yet there's a man who's like <laughs> spinning down the boardwalk, like a tire. How did they do yeah. that? Why does it look, you know, why does it look so much like a cartoon and so real simultaneously? I always thought there was more than meets the Popeye to it, which brings Into us to our, our first, first film. <laughs> Shut up, Dan. <laughs> what did you think, Dan? Did you see it when you were? Uh, I still a haven't seen thing? it. I refuse to watch it. No, the the, <laughs> the um, memory I have is that this. It when did Star Trek One come out? That madcap romp. the year before seventy nine. Yeah. Okay. So it was like Superman was Christmas seventy eight, Star Trek's Christmas seventy nine, okay. and this yeah. Christmas. So of this 80. may have been the second Star Trek one. We were definitely my sister and I were definitely dropped off at. This may have been the second <laughs> movie we were dropped off at. In other words, the parents weren't interested. They were like, "Oh, there's a kids thing happening. <laughs> Go and sit for two hours, and we'll do our thing, and then we'll come back and get you." So I remember being dropped off to see this movie, and I remember being very. Very frightened by it. Um, Popeye was always on. The cartoon it was like, it yes. was never not on. Yeah. You could yeah, always right. catch Popeye <laughs> at some point and, you know, and doing all that shit. <laughs> and it was crazy. It was a crazy show, but it was also always the same plot over and over. Bluto or Brutus, as he was sometimes known, takes olive oil, drags her away somewhere, 
you know, you used to do a little bit about it in your act. Yeah, that, that was how I would open my stand-up <laughs> act, was like doing an impression of a Popeye cartoon. <laughs> like, it starts with... <laughs> and then she stands in the middle and she's just like, oh, you're both so strong. Oh, you're both so strong. Every Popeye cartoon. There's brilliant. always always a piano on a rope <laughs> outside a window. As there is always. in this movie. Um, yes. the beginning. And That's right. So that was my only exposure to, to it. And I remember being very scared for all those reasons that you said. I was like, this looks too real. It's gray. It's brown. It's dingy. There's an ominous ocean. Bluto scared the crap out of me. When he <laughs> eats the glass, <laughs> I was like, that took me right back to being yeah. six, seven years old. I was like, oh my God, I remember being frightened to death. He ate glass in front of everyone. He's, he's so much less imposing now when you watch it, right? Because he's actually, he's a big guy, but he's not that big. And then you're like, you know, it's like a sugar thing he's eating. But I mean, just even his size and his skirt is not what it is in your memory. He just looks like Laser Wolf, yeah. you know? <laughs> you're, you're like, also, you're like... You're like, oh, he's an Israeli actor, he's a so he should be like Laser Wolf. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but that—that's what I. This rewatch for me was all about fear. I was taken right mm-hmm. back to like sitting there with my sister and being scared because it wasn't the cartoon. And you hit the nail on the head, Jason, because the the buildings are dilapidated and kind of leaning and and look and look right. kind of um, you know more or less. Not, I mean, I don't, I'm utterly unfamiliar with the Seagar um, comic strip, but that's, I guess, what they wanted to go back to, mm-hmm. what Altman and yeah. and Jules Pfeiffer and everybody were, were interested in going back to was that rather than the cartoon that we we're all familiar with, which yeah. is interesting that it starts with a little bit of the cartoon and the whoever yeah. did the Popeye mm-hmm. voice, I can't remember his name, Henry something, I can't remember, but, but, um, Bronco Henry. Bronco. <laughs> You know who would have, right. if it wasn't Bronco yeah. Henry, you know who would have done a great job as Popeye, the voice of Popeye, Bronco Henry. Uh, but, uh, you know, and so it's Altman, I think, and Jules Pfeiffer and Robert Evans and everybody saying, okay, ready? Okay, see this right here? We're not doing that. That's the thing we're not going to do for the next two hours. Okay, strap yourself in. I was frightened to death yeah. saying, seeing this thing, and it brought all of that back seeing it again. I was going to say, were well, you still you were still pretty frightened? Yeah, I was. You, but you know what I realized <laughs> is is that even though the the there's such realism in the sets and everything, the the they decided to go full cartoon with all of the performing, with all the performances, and that with, I think is a it. masterstroke actually of this movie of like, no, I we're gonna you know. Olive isn't going to just reach for something. She's going to, you know, rear back and use her entire length of her body. The amazing Shelley Duvall and reach for it this way. It's all cartoon. When you stop and think about Mm -hmm. it's the, 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 the richness and the detail of, and the, and yeah, and the grunginess of the whole enterprise make you think, oh, this isn't Popeye. This isn't Popeye. But when you just sit back and you just try to imagine the, all the same events and the same movements happening in animation to me watching it again last night i was like this is actually i appreciated it more than i ever had i was like this is actually a kind of a brilliant recreation of the the physics of those cartoons you know as much as you can in live action especially without the use of cgi or anything nothing to kind of give it that extra you put a little more english on it you know i thought it was actually quite yeah, quite amazing, quite brilliant. Bill Irwin is kind of the MVP, which is crazy. so good. He's the incredible. moment where Blue, yeah. I remember as a kid thinking this, and then last night I'm like, I'm like, it's 
as good. It still looks impossible. It's like Bill Irwin, much like Jim Carrey, do, you know, somebody who can do the impossible with their body and look like a living cartoon. And when Bluto kind of squashes him, it's like an accordion. It's fan. Fantastic. And, 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 and everybody in it. It's wonderful. I think Shelley Duvall is especially great. At the, well, she was at, like born to play this role. That, yeah. Yeah. Mimicking that physicality and the vo- everything. And it's a beautiful performance, too. Like the nuances of it, I think. I think she's great. I mean, so is Robin Williams. So are a lot of people. But she really stood out for me in this rewatch as being something really special. What's this hand? See? I asked Sweet Pea. Sweet Pea. Will Popeye be killed? Uh-uh. No? So then I asked, Sweet Pea, will Popeye be seriously maimed? Uh-uh. No? It's <laughs> two for two, you know, that could happen anywhere, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So then I queried, Sweet Pea, will Popeye actually survive? <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. You mean he'll win? Oh, <laughs> that's, that's a neat trick. <laughs> Me in fingers of psychic of prophets. So I was I, I think we will get into the, the overall arc, but I do think it starts a lot stronger than it finishes. Yeah. And that's my opinion. And and then I did read something that said that, you know, I guess they went a touch over budget and then Paramount made Altman stopped filming and come home with what he had and then they cobbled it together. So I don't know, Dave, if you can speak more to that, but I don't know if maybe the ending had different ambitions than what we got on screen. But I, I do feel it got a little more conventional. Yeah. Robin told me the story of, of basically them oh. you know, running out of money uh, at the end of filming and that that mechanical uh, you know, octopus that they're fighting with. They, it's basically, it's basically <laughs> the story of Jaws all over again. That they can't get this mechanical octopus to work. They don't have the money anymore to fix it or repair it. So they have to kind of like writhe around in its tentacles and pretend like it's <laughs> ensnaring <laughs> olive oil. But also that they didn't like Ed yeah. Wood. <laughs> that's what I, that's what I thought of. I thought of, of, of Ed Wood of Mark Landau. Yeah. Just the, you know, like, yeah, with the octopus. Also, that they never really had an ending figured out for the film, and you know, Robin and and Robert Evans, who had sort of a, a mutual uh, uh, affinity for controlled substances, I, I guess in in, in some <laughs> scenario, Robin like sort of jokingly suggested to Evans, like, what if? Popeye just walked on water like Jesus and Evans thinking that's a brilliant idea and that's what we're going to do. That's going to be the finale. And that's basically as much as they had the money left to execute by the end. So that's that's I believe the phrase that Robin used when I spoke to him is that Robert Evans was coked off his tits. I believe that that was how he phrased it. So we've all been there. We've yeah. all been there. <laughs> so always makes for a delightful children's movie. <laughs> how did how right. did uh, Robin come to the role? Well, this was it's almost hard to kind of think about this, but Robin had really no movie career at this point. The only films that he had appeared in were these like real kind of cheapy uh, comedies, these kinds of like. Uh, little uh, sketch movies, almost in the style of Kentucky Fried Movie. Uh, yeah, can I do it till I need glasses? That's the one, exactly, things, things like exactly. Yeah. And just playing these kind of throwaway characters. And by that point, he already had like management. His managers really didn't want him 
doing these kinds of things because they were, uh, you know, really low budget and didn't show him off uh, well at all. And they were kind of saving him up, particularly once Mork and Mindy became a huge hit. They were very uh, laser focused on trying to figure out well, what what will be his like movie debut if we disregard all yeah. the other dreck that he's done. Like what's a big leading role that we can get him cast in and. You know, uh, Paramount was putting uh, Popeye together kind of in parallel and Robert Evans, who, you know, in addition to just being, uh, you know, a total iconoclast and a, and a great uh, Hollywood character. I mean, he had produced uh, Love Story. He had produced uh, The Godfather and he had his eye on Dustin Hoffman. Uh, for the role, I read that. Yeah, yeah. and and, yeah. and then, you know they had a different creative team in place, and you know how these things go. They lose uh, director, Altman comes in, Hoffman drops out. Now they need uh, a new Popeye, and really all that Evans knew was that Mork and Mindy was a popular show starring uh, this kind of ascendant comedian who was known for physicality and just Evans is like, okay, that's, that's our guy. And even, you know, Robin's Mm. people, his representation, they were a little wary of this proposition with, you know, it's Robert Altman who doesn't really seem to make comic book movies, never made a musical (laughs) before. Uh, But crazy. Robin was good friends with Christopher Reeve, who obviously had a huge hit with Superman. And that, you know, totally transformed Reeves's career, made him a leading man. And Robin, you know, if you look at the interviews and the things that he was doing during the the sort of pre-production of Popeye, you see the way that he's talking about it. He really seemed to think that Popeye could be his Superman, that that was the thing that was going to take yeah. him to the next echelon and make him an even bigger star than, than Morgan Mindy already had. That's what I thought. I thought, I thought, oh, how interesting that he is best friends with Christopher Reeve and they were at that time playing these two iconic comic strip figures. Um, so it's interesting that that might have been part of his calculation. Yes. It was like saying like, look what it did for my buddy, yeah. my roommate at Julia. Yeah, I think in a very so, kind of unambiguous yeah. way that that was what he was trying yeah. to uh, pattern himself after. Obviously things uh, took a slightly different trajectory and it would be uh, <laughs> quite a bit longer before Robin was really recognized as you know, a genuine cinematic leading man and somebody who could open a film, carry a film. But it's still great to have this kind of a document. It's it. it there's, we're so used to now, I think, what uh, comic book movies and comic strip adaptations are supposed to look like and the, the language of them and just the look mm. of them. And, you know, a movie, if, if somebody were making a Popeye adaptation today, it would just never get made in this fashion. And, and it's, 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 you, you kind of treasure, I think, the film a little bit more knowing that, that like it's, it's so rough around the edges. And that's what makes it endearing. I'm stuck on this raft for 45 days without food or water. But after all this time on this raft, this viscitation comes to me. It looks just like me mother, rest her soul. <laughs> and it says, your pep is still alive. I don't know, is this a, is this a good movie? I'm not sure if it's good, but if it's not, it's you delightful. You have the entire time. Yeah, like, Wait, I'm like, I don't know yeah. if this is any good, but, but it's delight, I'm delighted all the way through. Yeah. And yeah, there are, there are a lot of missteps here and there. And I mean, it, it's, it's, it's just such, it's like we, we, you know, we did Bugsy Malone on, on the podcast uh-huh. a couple months ago. And it's like that, it's such an oddity yeah. of a movie. Yeah. yeah. But, Weird. 
there's something, it, 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 yeah, you're right. It's so rough around the edges. There's, there's like this, that chaos. It's like that. It's, it's like mash mash is a movie like Robert Allman. It's just, it's pure chaos, yes. you know, like that's what he does with the overlapping dialogue and, 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 and you, but, but then, but then you have this like such sharp slapstick physicality within that. It's so, it's like this ultra realism, yeah. messy realism yeah. combined with the cartoon slapstick. And, yeah. and it's so weird to see it all put together, but you're right. Like, thank God it is together. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's really, it, it as I'm rewatching it going, I don't know if this is good, but I'm so glad it exists. <laughs> I think Popeye just as yeah, a character, yeah. like, you know, he can exist in two dimensions and you can draw him in a certain way. But when you try to, like, create a flesh and blood three-dimensional version of that specific character with yeah. all of his weird features and his missing eye and always having the pipe in his mouth and those <laughs> colossal forearms, which they had to put, like, human hair yeah. on so that it would look like Robin <laughs> Williams' body. It's so yeah. creepy. It's so good. His calves, too, right? Yeah. His calves, yeah, that's yes, right. Yes, exactly. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I can't deny, like, the scene where he's in the flop house and all the – or the rough house, excuse me, the, the little diner. But that whole scene and you know Popeye is like trying to to hold in, you know, his – like yeah. he, you know – he knows he's got the power to beat the tar out of those guys. He's trying to restrain himself. They push him too far and he finally unleashes it and it's so satisfying. It really is – like that That whole sequence like makes the entire movie. I agree it's a strong with you. Sequence. I, last night I was laughing out loud watching it because I was like, wow, I always liked this as a kid because it's the first time he it's the first like, you know, it's like the Hulk. Yeah. It's like now he's going to change. Now he's going to yeah. do his thing. But I can't get over the punching bag moment. So, yes. so well executed. Yeah. I'm like, that is brilliant. <laughs> I, the, the whole thing. Yeah. It really does feel like there's so much inspiration and creativity and and focused energy in the first two thirds, I'd say, of the film. Yeah. And then it it kind of, you know, it kind of beca- and it, it, part of it, obviously, as you say, is. It's not just budget running out. If you don't have an ending to the script, then either you got to be really working towards getting that ending locked down or it's going to just kind of uh, dissipate into the ether, which I think it does a little bit. But yeah, that scene and the one I also think the other brilliant scene is the. And it's very Altman esque too. Is the the dinner table yeah. scene where he can't oh, get a bite of food yeah. the whole movie? Yeah. So yeah, and totally. All this exposition is coming through about who Bluto right. is and the Commodore, <laughs> and and you get to learn what Olive's personality yeah. is. She's this spoiled girl, like she's the the princess of Sweet Haven, <laughs> is what it seems like. Never known a day of hardship yeah. in her life. And Robin is just muttering under like, oh, just yeah. have a plate. I'm like, <laughs> can I get a plate? <laughs> And um, I remember as a kid being like, he needs to yeah. eat. Yeah. Poor man. He hasn't, I remember being yeah. sad as a kid. I remember yeah. walking yeah. back and forth between this is a sad movie and this is a scary yes. movie. Yeah. And and <laughs> just going back and forth between those two extremes as a kid. And, yeah. go, and, you know, I loved it when he punched, finally punched the octopus and it flew. And I was like, oh, that's yeah. cool. Yeah, he's going to eat his yeah. But you get a long, yes. for a two hours kid, later. For a six, seven year old kid, you get a lot of movie before Popeye eats his goddamn. Yeah. Spinach, and yeah. there's a. I mean, it was a long yeah. wait for the moment. The moment you wait for in every two, three minute 
cartoon you've ever seen yeah. of Popeye. Yeah. Yeah. It's yes. a spinach, boom. Same like the Incredible Hulk. When's Banner going to turn into the Hulk? Yeah. Oh, he did it, boom. He punches the bad guy. Yeah. This is a long wait for a, for a kid. And I felt that again, watching it again. I was like, oh, oh my yeah. gosh, this is long. But yeah. it's Altman, right? I mean, yeah. it's MASH feels long. Uh, 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 Nashville yeah. feels interminable sometimes. Gosford Park mm-hmm. is the long. I don't even know how long that movie is. It feels like seven hours. You know, it's like you just keep getting scene after scene of just drawn out things happening that may or may not affect the plot. But you better you better pay attention to all of it because it might. There are there are also moments in this that do not feel like an Altman film. Like at all, yeah. like the, 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 you know, the whole, the whole, the, 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 all the shit at the end is like, who directed this? This was not That's exactly what I thought. I was like, did, did Altman give up and a second, a second unit person came in and did it? Because it does not feel like he's directing it anymore. And, and you, you lose the, the ensemble, you get down to just a few characters on the water. Yeah. I'm like, this could not have interested him. Or, you know, maybe he had to yeah. do it, but he was like, uh, I know that you they know, lost, half checked they out. They lost Jules Pfeiffer at a certain point because he was so frustrated about how they shot the, um, the I am what I am uh, musical number that he wanted mm-hmm. to be kind of like a big, not only a big statement of purpose from Popeye, but a, almost like a kind of, uh, he, I mean, he compared it in his own mind to like singing in the rain. That's what he wanted it to look like and be bright and, and, yeah. and really kind of uh, affirmational. And it, you know, and like the rest of the movie, it's in this like really kind of like dilapidated uh, setting. And it, it's, it's just, it's a great song, but it, it isn't like, uh, you know, this, the staging of it is, is just like so haphazard and, and Pfeiffer yes. was so disappointed about that. So upset at how that turned out that he, that's the point at which he left the movie. So they didn't even have wow. their like oh, star right. writer to, uh, you know, basically tie up the loose ends and, and, and give them, uh, you know, like a, a kind of properly cinematic ending. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that because, wow. and I, cause I, I, and at one point I want to really talk about the music a lot. Um, mm-hmm. cause I love yeah. it. And like, I'm a big Harry Nelson yeah. fan, but, uh, I, it, like that is a great song. I love it. But I, I felt the same way with a few of the songs, but especially that one. Cause that's like, yeah, that's like the, the purpose song that, that, that song should be like an epiphany it should yes. be like the, the explosion. Yeah. And, and that, and there's a few other songs too that they come at weird moments. You don't really get. I'm like, so he's he's he, this big this big purpose song is coming because he doesn't want them betting. Uh, he doesn't want them using sweet. Like yes. it, it didn't seem. It, it, the, the the impetus for the song seems strange. Yeah. And then it, it sort of came out of a strange place that did, where, you know, and there, there was a few, a few of the songs, as lovely as they are, I just thought the setups were strange. And that's why, and I kept thinking of Bugsy Malone, where it was like, there were these songs thrown in for no apparent reason. They're just like these weird Paul Williams songs. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I sort of wanted... I wanted a little bit more for that. So that, that makes uh, sense. Now that you're saying that Jules Pfeiffer was like, n- n- that I, 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 I can see that as being sort of a, a disappointment. Yeah. It never achieves liftoff. And I remember yeah. even as a right. kid watching it and in my memory of the movie, cause I had the, I probably have it around here somewhere, the Popeye storybook. Uh-huh. It's got this powder blue cover and it's like, you know, it's the all photos from the movie and it had all the lyrics too. And I would, I would sing the song and I would try to replicate the moment. Wow. And in my mind, I remember thinking, 
yeah, this didn't quite give me the charge that I wanted it to when I watched the movie. So I would try to like sing the song or like listen to lyrics and kind of gin myself up to have the experience <laughs> that I think the movie wanted to, but there's yeah. something muted. There's like a, there's a sogginess yeah. to that number in particular where you feel like it wants to achieve liftoff and it never quite does. And I don't know if it's the, that's a good point, Fred. I don't know if it's the circumstances of how we get into it. I don't think that's necessarily it because I think Popeye feels like you've pushed me around. You've pushed me around. You're not going to, I have this code of ethics and you're not going to turn my child. Everything's about his child. Yeah. You know, the, the, the themes of fatherhood yes. are, yeah, incredible, right. you know, yeah. running through this thing. I think that could have been a strong enough impetus. It just, I don't know what it is. It doesn't, See, I didn't think it was it's in the strong. choreography or the, it, 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 how the song started didn't bother me. Yeah. It's that it just always, simmered and it never yeah. got to a yeah. boil. Altman, I don't yeah. know but why. But that's Altman's whole That's Altman thing. too, yeah. You know? yeah. Look about myself. To be or not to be. Who's asking? I can open up an ocean. I can take a lot of sail. I can lose a lot of water and I'll never have to bail. With the coast of Madagascar have the whale by the tail. What am I? I think yeah. the, the, the sequence of, of Popeye at the, uh, you know, the, the boxing match, that that one, I think, also kind of yeah, works. That's, yeah. that's almost a, a straight kind of like you're literally just doing yep. the cartoon in, in live action. Yes. And it's, it's a self-contained sequence. It ends the way that we want with Popeye, you know, punching a guy out and, and you know, redeeming himself in the eyes of the uh, the oil family and kind of getting, you know, a little bit more drawn into the, uh, the world of Sweet Haven. That is like a self-contained bit, I think, kind of works. But there's so much slack, you know. Know, between those those scenes that, that you know if everything if everything worked at that level then you'd really have something then this would be you know a kind of yes. all-time classic and uh, without yeah. that it just that's what makes it i think more of a kind of uh you know endearing oddity yeah it's a curiosity yeah paul dooley who's so yeah. good that he's got a great life. first first man who's dead loses he's so yeah. paul dooley yeah it's again it goes to the 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 strangeness of the movie he's so naturally yeah. he's so Paul Dooley yeah. he's yes. Paul Dooley in every like he's he's the dad yeah. breaking away like in the Altman films yeah. he's he's not putting on this I mean he's he's dressed he looks exactly like Wimpy yeah. yes, and he's eating the, the hamburgers yes. he's doing all something that Wimpy does but he's not doing anything car he's not doing like a weird voice right. he's not doing like any cartoonish movements he's so natural yeah. but it's it's perfect yeah. and again it's it's what makes it it's it there's something like both off-putting and completely <laughs> endearing about it. It's, but he's, I, I loved him in yeah, it. He just, Apparently yeah. he had a song that was in the movie, but they cut it. Oh, that could be, that could be. Yeah. yeah. That I was reading. Cause it's on, um, with the, uh, cause I, I, I was, I, have you guys listened to the, the Harry Nilsson, the demos yeah. Yeah. of him doing these songs? No. They're incredible. Yeah. I can't really? stop listening yeah. to them you the can get them on spotify oh, wow. they released like a double uh, a double album version of so it's all of you know the songs from the movie and then it's just harry nelson in the studio 
demoing the songs for you know I'll be like all right so Robert this is a this is a song yeah. called <laughs> called Sweet Pea yeah. and then like he'll bring like Shelly Duvall she, you know he, it's him working with her wow. um, and there's and you hear the Paul Dooley song I can't remember what it's called but it's about you know uh, it's something about food obviously yeah. about why he, he he's eating all the time but the other oh, thing I really like that song everything, everything is, is food, everything yeah. is food. so good yeah. Yeah. Like, kind of like the banality the monotony of existence yeah. like everything yeah. is food taking it in. Yeah. It's like, it's so yeah. good. Once it lived on an enemy mule. Now it walks along with you. It could be cool. Everything is cool. Nielsen was, I mean, he was popular at the time, certainly. I mean, you're only a couple, a few years off of, you know, Nielsen Schmilson and that. that yeah. Era. But, you know, I mean, I. He'd also, you, you know, I mean, he was he was not in like peak form, at least as like a singer. And, you know, I mean, he'd had his right. like, you know, time running around with uh, John Lennon and John just Lennon, going yeah. out and getting hammered every night. And, <laughs> you know, was was at this point, I mean, or I, I guess already kind of transitioning into, you know, his like family entertainer TV theme song uh, period. Mm. But he doesn't half ass the songs at all. I mean, they're really. Yeah. Like uh, full-fledged uh, Nilsson compositions, and and you know his heart and his wit are in every single one of them, and and I think yeah. they're quite good. I, I mean, it was I I remember how yeah. touched I was. I mean, this is years ago, but like even the little bit of uh, you know uh, that Shelley Duvall song, "He Needs Me," that gets kind of repurposed in uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's "Punch Drunk Love." I was yes, like, wonderful, like, what, love it. What wonderful little tribute to 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 like a gem of a song. No one ever asked before, before, because they never needed me. But I do. But he does. Maybe it's because he's so alone. Maybe it's because he's never had a home. He needs me, 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 he needs me. For once, for once in life, I finally felt that someone needed me. That's song. perfect because the misfits yes. in love, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Perfect. And they need but each other. But it's so funny, like, listening to it again, like, it makes... I don't know. Like I, I remember the movie at the time, just thinking the music's it's such weird music this, at, at the time as a kid, yes. you know, and then getting, you know, and even like being reintroduced to it through punch drunk love thinking it's so strange. And like, what's so great about, um, the, the first song blow me down. What I noticed I'm going again, going to that Altman thing. Yeah. It's literally like, there's no, it's not like a, a, a normal musical where it's just like you, where you, you're thrust, like the song starts, it's boom. It's just like a guy mumbling. Yeah. He's like singing to himself, <laughs> mumbling. Yeah. And then you're yeah. like, oh, we're in a, oh, he's singing. It's a song. It's, and that's so many of the songs. That's why it's like, it's sort of disarming. And, and to your, to your point earlier about maybe how the things don't lift off. And like, that's Altman's thing. A lot of the songs don't, cause it just sort of 
come out of nowhere they and it's just in. sort of yeah. yeah they trickle in which is really nice <laughs> well, it's like how's the most naturalistic way to have characters break into song yeah. like they just kind of get there yeah. and then they <laughs> live in and that goes away and apparently I didn't you know everyone was raving about you know the, the, the most recent Les Mis movie but I was reading this was one of the first times where Altman had them actually singing on yeah. the set like a lot of them a good majority of the songs they're I mean obviously a lot of the stuff that Robin Williams had to I guess needs to be ADR yes. again yes. yeah for to, sure to, to the point where there's clearly moments where he's not talking he's at not all and then they were like hey, you need something yeah. here and then yeah. he like mm-hmm. just talked over it because he yeah. couldn't you know, well, I think yeah, in yeah, an ideal world like and I think part of what appealed to the character about Robin at least in the abstract is that like this would be another vehicle and another opportunity for him to improvise and to you know mm-hmm. he could do in his you know heart of hearts or his ideal version of this movie he can do 10 or 20 takes and try a bunch of stuff out and they'll hopefully use the best version or he'll get something that lands but that drove Altman crazy that wasn't his style <laughs> at all and you know I mean he did allow for a certain amount of just like you know riffing but he didn't he wasn't a guy who wanted to do you know 10 and 20 takes of, of a sequence and also didn't like the idea of not having sort of ultimate control of of his actors and so that certainly Mm. uh you know created a certain amount of loggerheads and that also is why i mean as as you pointed out and have noticed that like you know there are times where it's clearly just robin like muttering unintelligibly and then they loop in (laughs) uh you know a popeye sounding line later on (laughs) yeah it's so interesting that altman the king of controlled chaos right the the uh as you say in your book dave and it was Robin Williams was too much chaos yeah. for the guy who loves controlled <laughs> yeah. chaos. And that, it doesn't that kind of say everything? Yeah. You know? Be careful what you exactly. wish for. Yeah. Back to, um, In an artistic yeah. part. That's right. Yeah. Back to Harry Nilsson. You know, uh, he's kind of the Altman of, of uh, I mean, uh, at least of, of maybe not of rock stars, but of like, you know, 70s folk rock, certainly of musical theater or musical... <laughs> You know, musical, right? There's no, the structure of his songs is not yeah. verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, verse, chorus. Yeah. It's not, not at that. all. Yeah. It's, it's unstructured. And yeah. that's very Altman-esque. You know, when I think of Harry Nielsen, I think of like, he's sort of the sweet haven of, of <laughs> 70s, 80s rock. <laughs> yeah. He's downtrodden. Yeah. He's, you know, I always picture him like wet, yeah. you know, <laughs> like just sort of like doing this and a cigarette dangling yep. and going, yep. you know, <laughs> you know, and just kind of, kind of doing that. Right. And, and, and that's kind of the way I think of him. And he's kind of perfect for this project. Yeah. 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 And his music, like uh, uh, Nielsen, Schmil- uh, sorry, Nielsen Schmilson, I just think is like a masterpiece sure. from start to finish. Yes, of you course. know, it's like listening to that now knowing that's you know knowing that album so well and rewatching Popeye I'm yeah. like oh yeah it, this all makes sense now because he writes like sea shanties yes. you know they're very <laughs> yes. like, right. like a barroom thing they're full on right. sea shanties no they that's really perfect. are and they're weird yeah. and they're strange and like you know even coconut yes. and you know it, 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 there's there's a a strangeness and the songs go to places where you don't really expect. And it, it, it all works. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't know, like it's, it's, it's easy to say it all works now because, you know, we, we know, you know, who Harry Nelson wasn't what he did and yeah. Popeye's done. But I, I wonder at the time if it, if it seemed strange, but it, it does, I don't know. It, does, it seems like it wouldn't cause it seems to make sense. Yeah. That like, <laughs> yes, that's the guy to write music for a Popeye musical. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to, we were talking about his, um, his uh, penchant for improvising on the set. There's only one little improv that 
I mean, there's probably lots of improvs that make it in the movie, but the one that charms me so much is when Sweepy's there in the basket and they find the letter and the, yeah. the baby makes a noise. He goes, ah, bah, bah. He's like, oh, you're a baby. I'm so right here. <laughs> and I love that. The energy yeah, of that is great. so great. And, and they are so great together. Like the yeah. baby is great. <laughs> Sweepy is adorable. I'm That's sorry. Altman's grand, just, a grandson, I believe. Oh, right? Robert Altman's yeah. grandson. Really? Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh my he, God. Well, He's adorable, and the family unit they yeah. create is so charming. And I remember that from the Mad Magazine cover. You were saying, Fred, something about the well, because you posted that day. Yeah, yeah. My wife got that yeah. for me just as like a gift. She was traveling and was in like a comic book store and found it there. And yeah, it, it's it's. That's how I found it in a comic yeah. book shop, and and, and wow. the Mort Drucker drawing is so perfect, yeah. and I, I I love that. It's an that excellent me color. Back. In a weird way, like I mean, as so as great cool. of a sort of celebrity caricaturist as Mort Drucker was, he didn't totally. I think in that, at least at that stage, didn't totally capture the sort of Robin Williamsness of of Popeye. And I almost wonder. I I, I can't ah. like prove it. I don't know, but like you know, if, if in a way Robin Williams wasn't like sufficiently familiar to them yet that maybe they you know they, they might true. have been the mad guys were maybe watching Mork and Mindy occasionally knew it was popular but they hadn't seen Robin sort of like you, you know dominate the the pop culture the way that he would in, in like the next 20 years and 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 start to latch right. on to his sort of unique features in a way that could make him an identifiable caricature like I posted that that uh, that cover yeah. and somebody replied to me like is that Robert Redford is Popeye <laughs> you know? it is he's, he's too wow. he's too handsome yeah. he's too yeah. oddly handsome well it's funny because I'm pretty sure Mort Drucker at that point I'm obsessed with yeah, Man Magazine yeah. and, and all the I you know, I remember the Mork and Mindy parody oh, okay. was uh, was was um, wasn't drawn by him. It was drawn by the other main parody caricaturist at that time, who I believe his name was Angelo okay. Torres, who would tend to do the TV That's parodies where Mort mm. Drucker would draw the right, movie parodies cool. almost almost exclusively. And then there'd be some, you know, wavering within yeah. there. And then Jack right. Davis would throw one right. in here and there. But it was mostly Drucker did the movies. So at this point. That cover was probably the first time he had ever drawn or painted yeah. Robin Williams. And then it's also he didn't work in color a lot. So then when something about the painting, the the rosiness of it all, yeah. it just didn't something about the proportions. You're right. It looks like a different actor. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's also his first time drawing that person. And you're not just capturing that person because you're also trying to capture. Tell us it's yes. Popeye, too. It's a very <laughs> weird assignment in its way. You yeah, know? A lot of um, a, a lot of like hurdles that like a lot of, you know, a lot of boxes that all have to be checked to like you know, fulfill the assignment. And it's, it's, it's no, you know, I, I, it doesn't make me think any less of, of Mort Drucker in the end. He can oh, still no, wrong, but, you know, <laughs> no, but you're is, it is funny when you see something where you're like, that's not quite yeah. the, that doesn't quite capture it, but I can tell what photograph you must've been using yeah. or something yeah. like that. That's like not quite, <laughs> right. it's just not quite it. Our other uh, movie this week is stir crazy. And in your book, you talk about the it was such a great relationship, kind of a, you know, almost master and apprentice relationship between Richard Pryor and Robin Williams. Can you tell us a little bit about what Robin told you about that relationship? Yeah, it almost, you know, it's something that I had really no awareness of when I was like first 
talking to Robin, you know, during obviously his lifetime and writing about him in the times to, to even put the like connect the dots that prior would have been a mentor figure to him. But yes, of course, you know, Pryor was a very dominant figure at the stand-up clubs of L.A. in the moment when, you know, Robin essentially arrives there from San Francisco and and he sees Pryor's kind of, you know, confessional style. And also, uh, I mean, in some ways, Pryor's style was very, at least at least when he worked the clubs, was, was improvisational and, uh, you know, just kind of, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, riffing in the moment, or he he planned to do a particular character, but not maybe have a specific, uh, you know, uh, routine or set of lines. He would just kind of go in in character and and see what kind of came out on a given night. But also that for him, for Robin, that is, you know, Pryor was this almost unattainable ideal of you know how much of yourself and and your person you had to put into your stand up in order to succeed. Because of course, if you look at Robin's stand up and routines from that era, they are not personal at all. And there's almost nothing of like the real him in them, and he's mm. just kind of jumping from you know, bit to bit and voice to voice and character to character. And there's no, they're not even sort of transitions in his routine. There's no sort of, let me give you a little bit of internal Mm -hmm. logic to go. It's, it's, it's just, you know, switch, switch, switch. And that's what made Robin unique at the time, but that he looked at somebody like Pryor and really aspired to try to get to that point in his own stand-up performance like i i you know i should want to tell audiences more about me and if i'm going through something difficult in my own life i should try to assimilate that into the routine and and try to process that into comedy and that you know by the time i got to meet him and talk to him when he was doing a whole routine about you know his divorce and his alcoholism and his relapse and his rehab uh, you know, you could see why somebody like Pryor would be a touchstone. Like, who else are you going to look to to mm-hmm. learn how to make that funny for an audience? That's so yeah. interesting because I think of them in this era as such different yeah. comedians. It's yeah. like, and I wasn't, yeah. you know, I was, mm-hmm. a, I was, aware, I mean, at seven years old, I was aware of Richard Pryor, certainly. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just what I had heard of of bits and pieces of his albums at, at friends houses whose parents had the album right. was like oh my god <laughs> wow what is happening yes and this guy's yeah. taking his heart out and going here it is yeah and robin williams yeah. is mork yeah you know? right. So, right. To, to read in your book that there was a mentor relationship there blew blew my mind yeah. and of course it makes hmm. total sense it makes total sense that robin wanted to aspire to 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 go you know uh, ultimately someday i want to be able to be bold enough brave enough to do that and you speak very openly in your book about how motivated by fear robin was yeah. you know when you asked him what are you afraid of he said everything yeah. <laughs> you know? and that's so you know to get to the point where he's unafraid enough in his later stand up to go okay here's me finally yeah. is is just that's just fascinating yeah. you know? uh, i, I mean, don't know if you know this but i'm in peoria i live there and that's oh, of wow. course richard pryor's yeah. hometown's a big statue of him down Town. Oh, so Richard wow. Pryor is very revered here yes. and very much sort of the, the our hometown boy here, you yeah. know. And so oh, and terrific. so I'm learning more about him the longer I've been here, about five years, the longer I live here, I learn more and more about Richard Pryor and and uh and everything. And because of course the the stuff you you know 
have heard is a lot of it's the bad stuff, right? Of, of the freebasing yeah. and the, yeah. you know, and then his suffering with MS and everything. And was Robin there with him at the, you know, towards yeah. the end as well? Yeah. I mean, that mm. was sort of, I mean, it, it's very, you know, bittersweet and, and, and frankly, just sad that, that, you know, this was, uh, one of a few friends in Robin's life that he saw die of uh, basically a degenerative uh, illness or condition, who, you know, somebody who took, you know, several years to die and got progressively and progressively worse. Yeah. And that became, a, a, a you know, a real uh, fear of Robin's, of the, the idea of, you know, what if something like that were to happen to me and with Christopher Reeve in a way, obviously his, his condition yeah, oh was the result of, of his injury and paralysis, but also, you know, uh, you know, a many, many year uh, process of, you know, decline. And that was something that he just couldn't, yeah. you know, imagine himself and never wanted to confront the thought of himself uh, going through. Wow. Dave, before we wrap this up, I'm just wondering like how Robin felt about Popeye in retrospect, you know, like, the, like did, yeah, did he embrace yeah, it yeah, and, or, or did he, or did he always kind of like, was he given the George Clooney kind of answers like about like, oh, well, I screwed up, you know, <laughs> the Batman. No, thing, I'm, I'm part, part of what I really loved about, you know, meeting him and getting to talk to him is that Popeye, even though, I mean, he, you know, he had, his, he had these very funny stories from the making of it and it didn't obviously uh, play out or, or, you know, give him that kind of, you know, sure. career right from the get go that he was hoping for. But, I, you know, I remember just talking to him about the kind of like, certainly by the time I, I met him in, let's say, 2009, he'd had other flops and, and movies that didn't work <laughs> right. and movies that he knew were bad, that they, these movies didn't succeed because they were bad. And that's why audiences didn't connect with them. There was never that possibility yeah. in the first place. But Popeye was one that he never disavowed or disowned, that it, it, he still oh, thought that's of good it to know. as great. a good movie. And it just, whether it was a little bit before its time or it just, again, was too yeah. kind of idiosyncratic to work at like a mass level, I think he still appreciated the art, the, the, you know, the true artistry of it. Listen, it's no bicentennial man. Yeah. We can all agree. Okay. I've never seen that movie. We have to quickly give, I mean, just, we haven't even mentioned, but Ray Walston is poop dick pappy. Yes. You know, it's so funny when I remember watching this again, the other thing that I, I, I forgot he was in it and it all came back. But then I also remember my first experience of watching Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Sure. And to other people, everyone's like, oh, it's my favorite alien. To me, I'm like, no, that's the dude from Popeye. <laughs> that was my first, you know, well, the thing that's so, my favorite Martian. Yes, the yeah. thing that's so sweet about it is that, yes, of course, you know, uh, Ray, Ray Walston was also Uncle Martin, the Martian from My Favorite Martian, which was a huge <laughs> influence on how he portrayed Mork. Mork. <laughs> Mork and, and so the fact yeah. that they finally got together is put that together wow that was very special for you know the two of them even 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 if it's you know their their on-screen relationship is by design quite contentious as it's meant to be but that there is this right. other bond between them that's really special but they're so good together yeah. in that scene yeah. they're great. when when Popeye when Robin Williams first sees him and realizes he's looking at his father Robin Williams is great like it's it's a, it's a kind of he's a beautiful stuff, performance yeah. it's yeah, a, just, he's so you know he's so 
happy and touched and moved and overwhelmed to see his father yeah. and he's doing it all through the with the yeah. squinting I, I, I was so impressed I was like man that motherfucker that eye never nope. opens nope. I was like never opens. is there some rubber cement going on there how is he keeping that thing That's closed I, I thought they might have put a little like, little dab of something I was on there I was god. like my god but I, I don't think so I think he's just like clenching yeah. for dear life <laughs> no it's kind of beautiful yeah when they first meet it's especially especially yeah. beautiful yeah. Yeah. never thought to ask him that but that's that's a really interesting question yeah if they do <laughs> if he glued yeah. his eyes shut <laughs> oh and the guy the, the brother castor oil is in uh is in sheena Whoa. oh my god that you're that right. Guy? Sheena. Oh, that's right we reviewed the great sheena see if dave can ring in on ted wass's sarong knot is it a boner <laughs> or is it just a <laughs> knot in his sarong There's a shot at the end of Sheena that I'm convinced it's Ted Wass has a huge erection. Absolutely convinced because he's a pervert. That Ted Wass is like, and and we're like, that's his a knot. Yeah, the knot in his sarong. I'll get to the bottom of this. This actually, bring in. This is that should be your next book. This is the new project. I can't believe you blew my cover. Yes. There's no no length I won't go to to get the answer to that question. That that's literally what Ted Wass said. <laughs> as much length as I can give you. Um, <laughs> one, one great story that, uh, 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 you know, Jules Pfeiffer told me is that like both, you know, Robin and Altman would get, you know, certainly like when, a, when, when the shooting days would wrap and they would just go back to their, uh, you know, private rooms that both of them would definitely sort of get into their cups, into their substances. And that like, uh-huh. you know, uh, somehow there was a rumor going around that, uh, I don't know. Pfeiffer was like cheating with Robin's wife, and, and oh, they got, yeah. he got a late night call from him, and it, you know, um, and you know, there maybe even threats of uh, violence or reciprocation, and and but that they they just hugged it out, and every everything was everything was fine. Yeah, <laughs> but a lot, a lot of uh, yeah, like uh, just uh, you know, m- misbehavior and uh, debauchery taking place on that island in the in the after hours outside of production. <laughs> I'm sure. How could you not sure. do drugs out there? My God. I mean, it's, it's so well, d- how, depressing how could you get hold of them in the foot. first place? That's my question, but... Uh, You're right. Yeah. How he's bringing them to, to Malta. Was, you know, Dangerfield showing yeah. up with a briefcase full of coke and you're like, here you go, boy. <laughs> Bobby, put me in your next one. <laughs> oh, God. Does Popeye say shit when he jumps off the bike? I rewound it four I, times. I mean, yes. He goes, oh, shit. That's what I thought, too. <laughs> they, they must have slipped that Did, in, I guess. I, I mean, it's, there's no way that was in the script, and there's no way. Because I think the movie's rated G, right? I mean, maybe. Ray Walton says I th- haul ass about 50 times. Oh, okay. yeah, he does say haul ass. ass. Well, well, that's all in that, that last uh, scene where yeah. everything was just, just they're just cobbling yes. together whatever footage yes. they had. Nobody, nobody's paying attention at that point. Nobody's super <laughs> Well, Dave, we have a, uh, uh, first of all, thank you so, so my much for doing this again, on. for joining us. Awesome. We enjoy oh, it so it's much. Been we, years in the making, yeah. right? Because yeah. when, when, when you were last had you on, on, you had mentioned, you know, yeah. or like if we do Popeye, we're going oh, to bring it back. And I've been bound and determined to get it thank on the schedule ever since. 
What would you uh, rate that? We do a, we do a, uh, it's a, we're not going to go into why it's called a Sheila okay. rating system, but uh, if you haven't listened before, but uh, on a scale of one to 10, where do you land? With Popeye? Oh, Popeye. I, I, it's yeah. It's got to be at least a nine, you know? I, I mean, I don't want to give wow. it a 10 because that is like immaculate perfection. You know, obviously there is certainly, <laughs> but it, like in my heart, it's a 10, you know, like there's, it's, oh, like, it's nice. always going to be this special thing to me in a way that I, I I don't expect to translate to others. I don't try to make it kind of comprehensible to anybody else. It's only sure. ever going to be like that for me. But I feel like just as in and of itself, uh, it's 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 a nine. Dan, what do you give Popeye? I'm at a solid, solid, unequivocal 7.25. Oh, very yeah. good. That's where I am. Yeah. I could Fredo. be urged to go 7.5. I want to see where you guys come in. God, I'm waffling because my my first, yeah, watching go, I'm like, eh, it's like a seven and a half because right. it's a weird. But like, I, again, I'm just delighted by it, and especially listening to the music, you know. And I've been listening to it constantly, and I might I might bring it up to an eight Ooh, because I feel like okay. I, I it's just such an oddity, but in a good way. I feel like people should see it. People, People should, should definitely go. see it. It, it yeah, deserves definitely. a sort of a, a, a you know a a reintroduction, yeah, or a reevaluation. I was a nine until Ooh. the last third, yeah. and then that sure. kind of uh, brought me down more to like an eight to eight point five. Wow! I think. So I'm gonna I'll go I'll go I'll go eight point five. I'll uh. land right. I'll nestle myself <laughs> betwixt <laughs> Fred and Dave <laughs> with an, with an eight point five. <laughs> For Popeye. Like Ted um, Wass's warm sarong nuts yes. just nestled in there. That's that's always a 12. That's always a 12. <laughs> Dave Itzkoff, oh, thank you so, yeah. so much for joining us thank again. Thank you for having me back. What a treat. This, thank you so much. Oh. And and Please, thank you. And we would love to have you on again. And it doesn't have to be just exclusively Robin Williams movies. We know you're, you know, you are a, a pop culture Thanks. king and you can join us to talk about anything at any you're time. So um, Including your we'll, new book about Bronco yes. Henry. Yes. As soon as you guys are up to uh, Power of the Dog, please uh, feel free to invite me back. <laughs> no, but seriously, if you got, if you got things you're like, I'd love, nobody's talked about, n- nobody's asked me my deep, dark feelings about yeah. blah. Uh, you know, just I'll, let I'll us have, know. Give I us a definitely list. have we'll, a couple of uh, thoughts for you. Uh, give me like, uh, like I said, another another year or so. I'll have a couple thoughts for you. Fantastic. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Oh, yeah. Right. That's when the book will come out. And then we'll be like, oh, my God, we've got to talk to him about Serial <laughs> yeah. Mom. Or I don't know, whatever. Serial <laughs> <laughs> Mom. All right. Oh, thank no. you so much, my, Dave. My thank you, Dave. What a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Great to see all of you again. Have a great holiday season. Yeah. And, uh, happy New Year. Yeah. We'll see you sooner. And uh, happy holidays, whichever ones you celebrate. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us for another episode of Opening Weekend. Thank you again to Dave Itzkoff for coming back to chat with us. Uh, Next time, we are going to be revisiting 2009's Avatar in anticipation of a movie I do not want to see. Avatar (laughs) The Way of Water. I can't imagine watching three hours of those cartoon people again in 3D. But... We, because because synergy is a thing, right? And we should try to tie into what's happening in the real world every once in a while. I think it is a good idea for us to go back and look at the movie that started it all, if you want to call it that, 2009, 2009's Avatar. We're going to look at that and we're going to ring in the new year. 
with our third annual Golden Sheila Awards, <gasps> which is great. Oh my God, because we can already. be we're there. Wow. So we can be drunk, drunk, and we can talk about Avatar drunk, yes. which is great. So yes, so we'll be ringing in the new year with Avatar and the third annual Golden Sheila Awards. I just want to give a shout out to our other um, uh, another Hofstra alum, John Flynn. He has a podcast, a fantastic podcast called Two Old Queens, a movie podcast that he hosts with his good friend, Mark Rennie, uh, where they are on a quest to uh, to determine what the gayest film ever made <laughs> is. Uh, and they are uh, currently um, have they seen Baby's Day of, Out? Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if they've done that one yet, oh, but they yeah. are wrapping up there annually. They do a, uh, uh, I think they do a Happy Holidays uh, series of, of episodes where they focus on Christmas and New Year films. And uh, and I was a guest on uh, their oh, most recent no episode way. talking about Batman Returns. So that oh, episode man. of Two Old Queens, which is available on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you get your podcasts, that should be releasing if it has already released by the time you're hearing this uh it should be out in the next couple days i'm sure they're trying to get it out for uh just before christmas but it was really really fun talking to them about why batman returns is a a a great batman film a great christmas film and an incredibly gay film as well um and i not that i'm the expert but you know i i i had had strong thoughts about it have they seen oh they've done batman Batman. and robin and batman forever on there before with uh, with another uh guest but uh yeah but i also but i was uh i was making a strong argument for the the camp value of of batman returns as well Mm -hmm. so um anyway uh we'll see you next time but before we go dan what you got with with us? What you got for us? What you got on us? What you got in us? <laughs> what you got for us, Dan? Uh, uh, I think I have to do the Popeye theme, right? Uh, what else is there this week? Of the course. closing theme to stir crazy? I don't think so. <laughs> let's do a little. Let's do it. Let me tune up as always. Okay. Let's just try to get this get this going here. All right. The theme we all know and love from the old cartoon, right? Which shows up a little bit oh, at the yeah. end of the movie, yeah. right? Talk about blow me down. (laughs) The opening weekend podcast is produced by Jason O'Connell, Fred Berman, and Dan Matisa with editing by Jason O'Connell and sound mixing by Fred Berman. Additional help and technical support provided by Ethan Duff. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 